everybody, and welcome to the 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 Yom Kippur event from Project Inspire, the radio show that we're going to have today. I hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone's having a great time in your preparations for Yom Hanor Yom Kippur. Hope everyone had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah, and this should be a time that everybody is really ready to go. And they're right here, 48 hours before Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. And here at Project Inspire, we thought, you know what? People are running around today. There's a lot to do. And sometimes we don't have another night to go out. And we're sitting here at home. And what do we do tonight? Watch the debates? I mean, I think we should spend more time on Yom Kippur, especially seeing who's at the debates. But like, what else is really going on? Why not have an opportunity to hear from different people, to hear from different Rabbanim, to have a chance to get a little bit more closer as we get closer and closer to Yom Kippur. So hopefully you'll join with us the whole show. We've got an incredible show for you tonight. We have Rabbi Yosef Eisen here who's going to be with us right now. We've got clips of various Rabbanim and Shabbos and, and Tshuva Drushes that we've been able to cut out. We've got Yossi Friedman from Eretz Yisrael. We've got guests here. We've got an entire packed show. We've got Dr. Abitan coming in at the end of the show that's going to give us tips on how to prepare properly from a person who's a gastro, not from you know what I heard from my grandmother before the, before, before the fast. We've got uh, Isaac Gross coming now. We've got an entire lineup here, so I hope that you stick with us for the two hours. I hope that you're with us, and hopefully over these next two hours, there'll be something that, that you take that'll get you a little bit closer, that'll give you a little bit of inspiration, something that'll bring us a little bit closer to the bonus Shalom that you'll take in and that you'll have, and hopefully we'll be able to accomplish that goal here. I want to begin right away by going to my co-host out in Israel, Yossi Friedman. Are you there, Yossi? Good evening, Charlie. Can you guys hear me okay? We can hear you wonderful. We got Yossi Friedman live from Israel. Yossi, what time is it in Israel right now? It's uh, 3.35 over here. And as I sit here, I turn around here to the Kotel and uh, I see about 500 Jews um, saying Slichos at the Kotel. You might hear the, uh, the singing behind me. Um, and it's a pretty inspirational time to be here at the Kotel. Just a few hours ago, there were thousands and thousands of people. I'll show you clips later on. I was able to take over here, Charlie, that you'll, you'll get an idea of what it looks like here. But really, overall, you know, it is, it is a time to be thinking about um, tshuva and what it means to really become serious, to watch these Jews, many of them not religious at all, come together to sing slichas together as a group. Um, has really been uh, very inspirational, not to mention that my office opens up to the Kotel um, Unbelievable. Itself. What an amazing I office. I, can't believe- I can hear the chauffeur. Really? Are they blowing chauffeur right now at 3 a.m. at the Kotel? They're blowing chauffeur, you know, those long, twisted chauffeurs. That, That's uh, unbelievable. So what's it like? I mean, just give a sense to all of us here in the diaspora in America. Give a sense of what it's like. We're all doing our own parts. We're all going to Shiurim and going to Slichas and doing whatever we can be doing here in America. But what is it like? Just give us a taste of looking outside and seeing 500 Jews from all over at the at the base Hamigdash, right? As close as we can get moments before Yom Hadin. Well, I, I, let me not describe the 500 people behind me now, but I'm actually on the rooftop of Eishat Torah, as you know. And uh, up here, there were a group of about 25 Svartim uh, who were up here saying Slichas. As you know, uh, Charlie, all too well that the Svartim over here say Slichas from Rosh Chodesh El already. Svartim over um, here saying it too. I've been, I've been doing it for a long time. I feel like I've been saying Slichas forever. So we, we got it yeah. all covered over here. And yet, and yet tonight, uh, some of them here you know, put on yarmulkes just moments <laughs> before they started Slichas. Incredible. Really Incredible. Seriously, you know, singing out the Slichas, Shomer Yisrael, Shomer Sheiriz Yisrael. 
at the end, and uh, it's it's truly it's truly an amazing feeling to be here <clears throat> at the coastal across from the Harabayas uh, at a time like this. You know what I always think about when I think about right before Yom Kippur, and tell me if this is the feeling over there. You're by the coastal, you see the different types of Jews, and what what always gets me is this deep understanding that a yid has that no matter where you are in life, you can always at a moment come back. There's no distance, there's no road. It's just what's going on inside. And every time I come and I see people coming in that may not have been to shul before, people that are getting connected that may not have been as connected before, I get so excited because they are the proof that we should know growing up. We should all know, even if you've been doing it for 40 days, even though if you've been doing it forever, the idea that you can be in a situation where you are... Uh, moments away, and someone can just come back at any moment to the Ron Shalom is just so inspiring. Right. And, and you know, Charlie, I'm sitting here, like I mentioned, on the roof of Asia Torah, under a base, on top of a base medrash of guys, of hundreds of guys who have found their way back. And it's really, and we'll talk about this more by meeting people who have been involved <clears throat> in the Chuba process throughout, but it's really inspirational to spend this time together with people who have spent a, a good portion of their adult life finding their way back to Rabbani Shalil. Right. And, uh, it's really, it's part of that inspiration of being here at this part of the world at this time. Amazing. One of the things that we're going to be doing today for people, for those who are watching, is we're going to give you clips of different um, tshuva drushas that we've been finding, that you've been, you've been looking at yesterday. I know that you've been spending a lot of your day today trying to find the clips and cut them. So let's do the first one right now. I want to go to so your first clip that you have that we can play for people at home to get a little bit of, um, of, of a little bit of tshuva. Right, you know, in in, um, in in going through these clips, um, we found the first clip was really the uh, from Rabbi Schaefer from the Shmuz, who's all, all too well known, <laughs> and um, he has an amazing clip of Hamelach Hakadosh. So we change we change the nusach of the tefillah for to Hamelach Hakadosh, and uh, I, I uh, pulled this clip for I pulled this clip for, for all of our viewers to see tonight of uh, of Rabbi Schaefer. Amazing. We're going to go to Rabbi Schaefer right now. Rabbi Schaefer is an incredible individual. I know I've had the opportunity to really um, to really hear him and, and to be with him. And he's unbelievable. So let's go right into Rabbi Schaefer. On Yom Kippur, during the days between, during Yasser Shemei Tshuva, we change the language in the Shemone Esrei. We no longer say HaKel HaKadosh, we say HaMelech HaKadosh. When we refer to Hashem, we refer to Hashem as the King, the Holy King. And the Mishmarura explains why it is that we change the language. Because during these days, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, Hashem is Mare Malchuso. Hashem demonstrates, Hashem shows His Malucha, shows His monarchy, Umem Shalto, and His rulership, Shehu Bakal Mashallah, that He alone rules over everything. You see, during the course of the year, it's very difficult to feel Hashem's presence. During the busyness and the activity that we call life, it's very, very difficult to feel Hashem here. But during Aser Shemei it's much easier. And Hashem demonstrates Himself. If it could be Hashem reveals Himself, and a person can experience Hashem in a way that they can't experience Hashem any other day of the year. The Peleyoids gives a mushal. He says, imagine you're standing there with your eyes closed and a man brings a candle. Now, obviously you can't see the flame because your eyelids are closed, but you sense it, you're aware of the light. He explains, that's Aser Shemei Tshuva. I could sense Hashem right here and I could experience Hashem to an extent that I can't the rest of the year. 
These are magnificent days. They're tremendous days in which a person can accomplish worlds, in which a person can get closer to Hashem, in which a person can experience Hashem. But you have to open your heart to the days, you have to prepare for them, and you have to use them as Hashem intended us to use them. Very true. And the idea that we have these opportunities right now that we don't have throughout the rest of the year is something that all of us, I think, could take really to heart. These are the, mo- these are the moments. This happens sometimes in life. There are moments where you can do things that you can do in other moments. Right now we have the big schus. We have our Yosef Eisen here with us. Rav Yosef Eisen is the Rav of Kolo Bnei Torah here in Flatbush. He's also the head of the Vada Rabbanim of the Five Towns. And he's an individual who has been inspiring people and watching people and taking care of people and thinking about Kal Yisrael his entire life. It's an honor to have every eyes, and thank you so much for joining us in the show. Thank you very much for this tremendous opportunity, Charlie. It's great to have you on, and I know that this is, you know, right before Yom Kippur, this is the moment where, where this is the moment where so many people are interested in, in what's going on and how to get connected and what we can do to get closer um, in order to, um, right now, before we get to Yom Kippur. So what are some of the ideas that you may have for people that want to get close, especially now, we're right beforehand. What if somebody wasn't, you know, doing anything until now? What, what are some things that you can tell them? Well, you know, that type of a question of what do we do with these days, these counted days, 48 hours. Back in yeshiva, those very special days. I remember every year Rav Palm would ascend to the podium. And the first thing what he would say is that he doesn't call them yomim noroim days of awe. You know, that sort of could be a little bit daunting. He calls it yomim nefloim, wondrous days. Days of, as you said, of tremendous opportunity. These days are days where we literally should be grabbing on to every mitzvah. Because every mitzvah in these days are just so great in essence they become exponentially so much greater. Mm-hmm. There's a great story that I think that the audience would really benefit from. The Chassam Seifer, on Erev Yom Kippur in Preshburg, he turns to his daughter and he tells her, I need you to follow through with an mission. There's a Yosem and a Yosoyma here in Preshburg that I want to have them engage to one another. So she says, Tati, I'll take care of it right It's the of Yom Kippur, right the first thing after Yom Kippur. We're going to go there. He says, no, no, no. He says, now. Now is the time that I want you to go. Go right now. She takes the beeline right to the Yossim's house. And she says, I'm on a, here a mission for my father. We'd like to present to you this Isoma. He says, you know, he says, I'm a Yosem, you know that. I would like to continue a path of learning. He says, I have no money. I can't marry a, a penniless Yosema. That's just not going to work. She rushes back to her father because he's seeing something which is sensible. He can't live on ear. The Holy Chassam Seifer hears what his daughter has to say and says, go back and tell this Yosem that I guarantee him that he will be missing nothing for the rest of his life. She goes back to the Yosem. The Yosem hears this guarantee from the Holy Chassam Seifer. And he immediately acquiesces. The postscript of the person that writes the story says that he said towards the end of his life, this Chassam, he never became a rich man, 
but he was never lacking anything. Wow. Because of the brach of the chasam seifer. Now they go back, she goes back to the girl, and she says, I have a great shidduch for you. This is a shidduch that my father thought of. Immediately she embraces the shidduch, and there they are, chasen and kala. She comes back to the chasam seifer, the chasam seifer is ecstatic. He now has fulfilled his thought of what is the perfect shidduch for the siyasim of Yisayimah. By that time already, the sun is setting. In walks in the chasam seifer to Kol Nidre, quite late, the entire tzibur, waiting with bated breath. Where is the chasam seifer? The first thing that the gabai does as a trustworthy gabai he shows the chasam seifer the clock. <laughs> he says, you're late. <laughs> and listen to what the chasam seifer says to the gabai. He says, you're worrying that we're late to call nidre? He says, in Shomayim, they do not begin call nidre in Preshburg until I say call nidre. Wow. And he said it so, as a matter of fact, right. not to worry the right. gabai. He says, the judgment did not commence. We have to say Kol Nidre now, then it will commence. So listen to this, Charlie. The holy Chassam Seifer that was able to say with a matter-of-factness that Shomayim is not beginning anything until he says those words of Kol Nidre, he was seeking a schus in these days. Wow. So I ask you, we have an opportunity of Ashavas Havedah, of a favor to a person that we could do for a person. A stalker check that we could write. Wow. An wow. extra capital tillum for a choyla. We got to grab it. We got to learn from the chasam cipher. You know what's so amazing about what you said? And it's so, I hope and pray that if, you, if you're watching this or you heard it, if you do nothing else, we just started, if you do nothing else but you tell over this, Misa, it's a total blow away. And here's why I'm so moved by it. And I want to delve with you a few minutes into it. Because I always thought, and I think this is what you meant by Rav Palm, that the, 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 the feeling that I have is this overwhelming fear. This Yom Kippur for so many years for me is this, you're just not good enough. And Charlie, like, please, like, don't, no one's faking in, in Shemayim. You know what I'm saying? Like, we know. And Yom Kippur's coming, and you better be ready, because when it comes, <laughs> it ain't going to be pretty. And... It's almost like you're paralyzed because you're so worried. And what you just said was the exact opposite. You said paralyzed. Nifloim. Unbelievable. Wondrous. And even the, the maiselach isn't just in tefillah. You should be in tefillah, obviously. But what you're saying, any maisa that's tough. Anything. Unbelievable. I want to tell you. Unbelievable. I was so I went to the mikveh Erev Shabbos. And here is a guy showering, and he switched the Dove shampoo, his flavored Dove, with my regular Dove. And I had, happened to have the guy's cell number. I called him up and he said, listen, you know, you took my Dove. He says, I'm returning it to right away, Rabbi Isaac. I said, but I'll bring yours back. He says, no, no, he says, leave it there. I said, there's not a chance. <laughs> it's a serisime tshuva. I'm going back to the mikvah, Charlie. And I'm under my under my breath. I'm saying l'shem yichud kusher beruchu. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I said 
I saw the story before them. I said, this is, un- this is incredible. It's an opportunity today. It's nifloyim. It's wondrous. And I think that that's what we have to really internalize during these days. Unbelievable. I saw something I want to ask you about because you just brought up an idea that I saw recently. I saw somewhere, I don't remember where, that it was written that if you're lucky during a serious mitzvah, maybe you have a source for it, that the Kaddish Baruch is going to put you in a situation where someone's going to offend you and you have a chance to be mavir on your midos so that he could see if you're going to be mavir so that he could be mavir. So what you're saying is in this period of time, even if people are hurting you, just being, just not getting upset, just holding back, anything that you do in connection to being a better person is magnified. Well, the sources are the Gemara at the end of Yom HaKippurim. Talk about the different Amaroyim that actually facil- facilitated this opportunity for others to be Maralamidis. Mm. But one of the things Rav Palm would always get up Ni'ila. He would quote the Shari Tshuva, Ois Chavav, in the first Shari. And he would say that the Shari Tshuva is presenting us with the Pesach Tikva, Nechmod Ma'oid. I believe that's the language of the, of the Rabbeinu Yaina. What's this Pesach Tikva, Nechmod Ma'oid? Exactly what you said. Be Marva, if there's somebody that you need to bury the hatchet with, now's the time. Wow. That would be his yearly ni'ila appeal to the entire tzibor. No great thought-provoking right. messages. Petach tikva nechman ba'id. So, but it's, it's more than that. You know what we're talking about? How wondrous these days are? These days are a days that with one small Kabbalah, and maybe we'll talk about some practical things. Yeah. One small Kabbalah could literally change your life. Think of the picture. You ever have a picture in your house, a heavy picture, and you figure out what are you going to do? You go to Home Depot and you buy the different hooks 25 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds. You take that 100 pound hook, you drive it right into the wall. And now you take two or three people to hang up the picture. That's a Kabbalah. The nail. Wow. And what does it hold up? It holds up the picture. And what's in this picture? There's the sea. There's the horizons. There's the birds. There's the flowers. There's the animals just roaming free. Everything could be held up by that one little one little Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. And the remez that the tzaddikim give for that is achas sho'alti. The Rabbani Shalom says, I ask from you one thing. One small Kabbalah. And really, it's said in the following language of Chazal. Pischuli Pesach kechudoi shalmachat. That's how small the Kabbalah has to be. But there's one provision in that. You know, did you ever, did you ever sew, Charlie, did you ever sew anything? Come on, admit to us. Uh, I don't, did, he, did he ever sh- did Not successfully. My son just got married. That, we yeah. had that uh, yeah. mazel, mazel, tov, mazel, mazel tov. tov. And he actually called on Erev Shabbos ecstatic that he actually sewed on a snap. Wow, wow. But to his amazement, at the end, he called my wife. And he said there was one problem. It was perfect. 
but it was the opposite way. <laughs> that sounds about what I would so do. So yeah. the how do you, how do you thread a needle? Says our Vigda Miller, Rabbi Vigda Miller. It has to be through and through. The Kabbalah could be a chudesh al machat, but it has to be through and through. It has to be real. It has to be real. Yeah. It has to be real. Yeah. So it could be two minutes early for davening. It could be calling up the person that you have a grudge with and forgiving him. It could be deciding that you're not going to talk disparagingly about any family member. Imagine you, that. You know what's amazing with what you're saying here? And this is And so, that's all. That that should be the Kabbalah. But it's so great what you're saying, and I hope that people are really taking it in as much as I'm because I'm what you're saying something is you know what happens sometimes in life whenever we get to Yom Kippur, back to the way Yom Kippur is, I think in the way you're saying not for it to be, is you know deep down what your Kabbalah should be, right? You get to Yom Kippur and you know Hashem loves people that know Shas by heart. So my Kabbalah this year is Shas. And you tell Hashem, listen, Hashem, you don't know it because you're getting into it, right? You have to, it's, it's Mariv and then it's Shachris and, you, and you're getting all worked up and you're getting through the, the, the singing and you're getting into Nisana Taikef and you're like, oh, and then you think to yourself, okay, Hashem, it's gonna be, I'm never going to get upset with anyone that I'm related to and I'm finishing Shas and I'm going to be the best person ever and all my money's going to stuck because it's Jim Kippur, right? You don't got to do anything. And you go and you go and Ela comes and you're perfect and then you get there the next day and you go, I can't do any of this. And what I'm hearing you say, is that's all a distraction. You can be inspired, but if you really want to make a Kabbalah, you got to take that moment of inspiration and don't be something that you're not. To your point of the needle, find something that really is going to move you, and that will be your nail. Right, right. Incredible. So let me share with you what you just said. What I heard actually... In the Young Israel of Redwood. Oh, wow. The Young That's Israel right. of Redwood. The Young Israel of Redwood. Just, just for knowledge, Young Israel of Redwood is the good old Canarsie Shore right, where right. I grew up. That's right. <laughs> I even remember where you sat, Charlie, or when you were sitting. Right, right, okay. when I was sitting, which was, okay. <laughs> so anyway, I heard from the rabbi there that said that Rabbi Sorel Salanta actually echoed, and he said, if you have Kabbalahs to make, take the one that you could tackle. Wow. Don't tackle... Don't put the list in such, so high on the shelf that you can't reach it. Wow. Write the list of things that you could grab and tackle. Wow. And that is the real way that a person could improve. Wow. I know we're running out of time. Can, can you give us some practical, what you have in terms of practical tips and so, ideas? So let, let, me, let me share with yeah. you a, some, a thought or two yeah. of what I said by the Shabbat Shuvah mm-hmm. Please. You know... One of the things that we become frightened, what you, you said, we, we become awed. Yeah. But there's a, a secret that Reish Lakish actually tells us in the Gemara on Peivav Amid Beis at the end of Masech Yuma. And he tells us that there is a key in taking all the times that we have faltered, all those moments that we were challenged, all those moments that we were distanced through the things that we did, and we could take those things and actually use them as a catalyst to hmm. come closer. Hmm. How? Tshuva me'ava. Tshuva me'ava, the Gemara says, takes all those shortcomings that we were really vulnerable to 
and it turns them into actual schusim. Mm-hmm. Through what? Through Ava. Then I added, that's a very beautiful formula. Right. Brass tacks. <laughs> how does that happen? How does that, pra- how could I right. grab it? Right. Great, Rish Lakish has saved the day. Right. But how does that happen? So I said, you know how that happens? That happens with a small little paragraph that we say six times on Rosh Hashanah. Im kibonim, im kavodim. Right. Bonim. Bonim. It's all about the relationship. Reish Lakish is telling us really something incredible. Tshuva me'ava means I'm saying, Hashem, I'm here. I'm making an announcement. Your son has returned wow. to just have a relationship with you. There's an incredible story, and perhaps we could you know, get to the conclusion with this, that there was a Yid his name was Rav Nochem Yasser. He was an old Russian immigrant that came to Yerushalayim and became one of the chashuvim in the Hasidus of Biyan. And he's sitting around during this time of the year talking about the famous Rambam in Perik Beis in Hilchus Tshuva. About the Rambam talks about Tshuva and Yom Kippurim. And the Rambam really doesn't state what type of a Tshuva we're talking about. But in Perik Zion, the Rambam does talk about it. He says, what does tshuva do? Tshuva takes a person, he uses language that was meruchak, he was distanced, and in one moment today, you said this earlier in the introduction, that's what you love about that, that vision of the koisel, of people coming, just coming back in the drop of a, drop of a dime. Right. And the Rambam says, and today you become a Karayv, an Ahov, a Nechmad, and a Yedid. Those are the four adjectives that the Rambam uses. You become beloved, you become a best friend, Kvayachal with the Rabban Shalom. How does that happen? So the people were sitting around and talking to this Rav Nachem Yasser, and he says, they don't understand this. How practically could there be a transition that we could actually fathom, that we could actually relate to, that the Rambam is telling us that yesterday you were distanced, yesterday you were, you were cast away, you were so far, you were so unconnected, and today you become an Ahov, a Nechmad, a Yedid, a Karayv. So he said, I will tell you, Pshat and the Rambam, Rav Nachum says, he says, you know that I grew up in Russia, he said, I came back with all my children except one. One of the boys just did not follow. Me and my wife for the last 20 years, every night we go to sleep, our pillow is never dry. The amount of pain, hurt, and anxiety that we experience because of that one child is unbearable. But he said, may it lie." Al Shamayim Let the heavens and earth bear testimony. If he would come through the door right this second as we're speaking and say, Tati, I'm here. I'm coming back. He said, immediately. He wouldn't have to say nothing more than, Tati, I'm back. I'm here. Your son is with you again. All those 20 years of pain, all those tears that are immeasurable would be, disappear.
disappear wow. and dissipate and never exist. Wow. It's never nothing. Wow. He said, now you understand the Rambam, my friends? Yeah. You gotta come and say, Tati, I'm here. That's all you that's have to That's the best. Say. Wow. Rabbi. So that's what we're that, that's what I think we're at. I think on Yom right. Kippur we have to say, and you know what? The two brachas in Shemay Nasere, how do we remember this? How do we do a Ne'ilah? You know what Ne'ilah is? I said at the drush yesterday. Ne'ilah doesn't only mean closing, it means to lock up. Nalayim, the foot fits firmly into the shape of the shoe. Mm-hmm. You know how you lock up the, the Yom Kippur of what we've been talking about? You just got to take it with you in a way where you just got to practice. Every day in Shemay Nesra, you got to look and say the two brachas that are dedicated to tshuva is hashiveinu. Aveinu. Slach lanu. Aveinu. That's all. There's no other wow, brachas in Shemay Nesra. Tati, I am here. Oh. And the rest will fall into oh. place. Rabbi, that was incredible. Thank so, you so much. Ra- Rabbi Eisen, I, for those that are paying attention, those that are listening to here, I, I mean, I think this is it. You can go in like now. We, and this is only, we're only starting. I mean, this is how we're opening up the show. The idea that someone can come back at any point and know that there's a, a father with his arms open is unconditionally yeah that's the difference between yamim no raim and no yamim niflaim right that idea rabbi right. thank you so much for, Have for a being here a good good bench well, thank you so much yeah. we're gonna go right now to yassi friedman he's in israel right now uh, we're gonna go to him he's gonna show us he's with rabbi steven berg and they're gonna show us what talk to us a little bit about what they did last night in this incredible slichas program take it away yassi Earlier, and I'm here with uh, Rabbi Berg, the Mankal, Director General of Asia Torah. I mentioned before morning. that we say good evening and good morning. Good evening and good morning is right. Um, but last night, actually, uh, we we actually spent uh, time at an amazing program here in the East Building. It's, it's actually an amazing time in the East Building. Yeah, I mean the, the program that we have. I just have to message about the old ski. In terms of slichas, there is uh, last night. I would say there were about seventy or eighty thousand people at the Kotel. Every night's been about that amount, and the, uh, tonight, tonight, tomorrow night for you, tonight for us, uh, there's going to be over 100,000 people here. There's so many people from around Israel from the city. Asia Torah thought it was important to get people that may not know about Slichos and understand uh, Slichos, and we have something called Slichos uh, in the Old City, and we do a couple shows a night. We have well over 1,000 uh, Israelis that come through, many secular Israelis that uh, don't necessarily understand or know anything about Sukkot. It's uh, part play, part singing, part music, part, part blowing chauffeur, uh, led by Rabbi Etiel Volvech uh, and the, the folks from Asia Israel. It's an absolute blow away. I would say in the last week we'll probably have a good 10,000 people uh, coming through our building to see the... Well, you, know, you know what was amazing about it also is that the groups keep just so you thought you like service the Israeli crowd, there's other groups that come in, and people are just blown away. Uh, I was sitting in the crowd, and you just watch the different types of people and different types of head coverings or lack of head coverings, and the men and the women just really connecting this time of year, really close to the Harabais. You know, look, from perspective, and the truth is that you know, I think people have to Israel come to the old city. It's a little bit like going to Washington in America, although a much more spiritual area here. It's kind of like the people come 
And uh, this year, we had a very tough year, a lot of terror attacks here in the Old City. We had a terror attack today, I, I just drove by there earlier, uh, and a lot of Israelis did not get the chance to come to the Old City this year. It's really it's been, been terrible. And now to see hundreds of people back here and strong, you know, right now, <laughs> and it's still going strong, and they'll be going strong. It's just the most uplifting thing. Right, and I mean, just to share with our, with our, with the folks back in, in, in the States, um, we, we, I put together a little clip. I was, so, I was so taken by the program today, uh, being there with, uh, you know, watching Rabbi T.L. Goldvith uh, speak and, and sing together with the crowd, group after group after group. Um, I want to show the, the folks in New York um, just a little clip. Charlie, uh, we just put together a special for you so you can see, you know, what Slichus looks like at Asia Torah. Thank you very much. I appreciate you making me feel jealous. Waiting for the clip here. I think we're, we're going to clue the clip right now. Um, we're going to play uh, the clip that Yossi's been talking about with regards to the Slichos that they're playing right now at the Kotel. Of course, he's sitting there with Rabbi Berg, um, and they are right now still at, I think it's like 3.30 in the morning over there, and the two of them are, I can hear in the backdrop, um, so many people there. Let's go to the clip. Amazing, Yassi. What was it like in that? And Rabbi Berg, what was it like in that environment over there? Was it electric in terms of the people that were there? From what, what we saw, it looked like you guys had hundreds of people there, and they were really enjoying themselves. What What was the, the feeling like from Israel? You know, it was just you know, there were people that were crying in the audience. There were people that at certain points they kind of jumped up, started dancing. Uh, it was electric. Like I said, the entire old city right now, Jerusalem, on fire, just waiting for. You know that base made this to, to drop down on on the mountain right behind us, uh, and and you know I gotta tell you last night for me it was unbelievable. I looked down and I hear chauffeurs. I heard something different, and I saw chatzotzros. I mean they literally had chatzotzros blowing down the the horns of the base of this. It was just awe inspiring. Yeah, I actually um, I was sitting at my window in my office actually, and I looked out the window to see this massive crowd of people that were. Uh, or, uh, just, you know, and um, I actually put together Charlie. I actually, I actually put together Charlie. I actually put together for you. Uh, I was, I was at my, I was at my uh, window actually, looking out the window and watching hundreds of people just saying slichas together. I couldn't help, you know. It's like one of those camera moments. So again, this one's special for you. Appreciate it. We're gonna go right now to that clip uh, that you've been talking about. Let's go to the clip right now. Wow, that was unbelievable. <laughs> Gosh, 
I am joined right here, Rusty, all right, Berg, it's been an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for all that you do. We're going to come back to you in a little bit, um, but that was an incredible, incredible vision of so many people at the Dakota. I hope everyone here in America has got a chance to see that. Continued incredible work. Stick with us um, throughout the show, but thanks so much for all that you do and for your correspondence from the holiest place in the world before the holiest place of the year for us. You bet. We're here joined right now with an incredible individual. Josh Brody is with us in the studio right now. Um, Josh is an individual who is um, regular FFB from, from birth background. Is that about right? Yeah, no, that's right. Okay, and in many, many, for many years you've been involved, but in particular with Project Inspire, with JWRP, with Aisha Torah, you've had the opportunity to go to Israel um, and be really active in terms of showing Judaism and, and really reaching out to people from um, different backgrounds. Give us a little bit about your involvement in Project Inspire and your involvement in JWRP and Aisha Torah in the past few years. Yeah, sure. So I guess it was about three years ago, Rasim uh, Barnett, who I'd met a couple of times, you know, called me up and asked me if I wanted to go to lunch. So we went out and he told me about this trip that they were doing to Teretz Yisrael and asking me if I wanted to be a city leader. And I had absolutely no clue what I was getting myself into. Um, just thought it would be a small trip with, you know, five, ten guys. Um, it wasn't until we actually got there I realized there were about 140 guys on this trip. <laughs> um, and it was sort of an opportunity for me to take a group of, a small group of guys from Long Island, about Five guys was the group for the Long Island group that year. Um, guys in their 40s, 50s, with married with kids, um, and it was just sort of the beginning of an opportunity where you know you take on this amazing trip with these guys, which right. you may know a little bit about, right. Um, right. and you start to forge a connection with them, and you really right. start to you know become very close friends. And when you come, then when you come back to the states, it's um, you know sort of more of the city. You start you know learning with them and the like. And I went again the following year. Um, we took another deck last year. We took ten guys. Um, and it was just been an amazing experience, sort of like start to really connect with guys who were, you know, not had the same opportunities I've had to, uh, you know, experience Yiddishkeit. Wow. And, and, you know, sometimes in life when you are, you know, a lot of times I think there are people watching that is here, here watching it right now. There are people that are um, less affiliated, getting more active, getting more involved, incredible in that way. Some people are watching right now that have sort of been. Um, their whole lives been affiliated, right? They grew up in certain yeshivas. They've this is you know Yom Kippur number fifty, right? This is they never know they've never known a life without Yom Kippur, and someone like yourself um, who's come from that world, what does the in- involvement, what does the exposure, what does the connection with so many other Jews bring to you as you now go through your own tshuva process this year? You know, it's funny, when, when I spoke to, to Yaakov Ginniger on Friday, he asked me if I wanted to come by tonight. Um, so he, he kind of mentioned this to me. I think to myself, I, I, I really know really what it was that I would sort of mention. That giving it some more thought over Shabbos, like something really profound kind of dawned upon me. You know, I guess like a, a regular sort of, you know, FFB, yeshiva guy. So, you know, Yom Kippur, Yom Narayim were always a little bit, you know, you, a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of, um, you know, you're, you're, you're worried about it because, you know, it's hard to get through and it's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily feel connected to. You're a little, little bit of you know, scared, fear, yeah. but just like it's like Yom, Yom Kippur, you know, right. Yom Kippur, you know, two words or less, it's, you know, tired and hungry. Right, right, right. right. Um, and and with, almost dying, right? And, <laughs> spiritually and physically. <laughs> and... The one thing that's been amazing to me is, over, as I've been involved the last couple of years, is you know when you're sort of 
trying to introduce Yiddishkeit to somebody for the first time. So you naturally focus on the positive things, right. things that you, you know, really connect to that make you feel good. And what's happened over time is that sort of, you know, enthusiasm has just sort of gotten to me. And it's been the same thing for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur too, where you're thinking about tshuva, but you're focusing so much on the positive and so many wonderful experiences that you have that when it comes time to come closer to, to Hashem, because it's, you know, it's Yom Kippur, you're not focused so much on the, oh my gosh, I've done so many things wrong. It's more, wow, what can I do better for Hashem because he's doing so much for me. Right, right. And that, that's, I think that's, you know, we had Rabbi Eisen on a couple minutes ago who was I, a total incredible knockout. I thought he delivered such an incredible message that really resonated with me as he was sitting here. And I think it's something that we, people need to hear a lot more of. I think the idea that Yom Kippur should not be a day of scary. Yom Kippur should not be a day of Hashem is upset with me and I'm not good enough. So if I can just tell him that I'm going to be better, even though deep down I'm not going to be better, somehow he'll buy it. And then by the time he'll realize it, we'll be through Sukkot and it's too late because the, the, the gates are closed. Versus what I think you're experiencing and what you're seeing, especially anytime I have the chance to meet a Jew who's interested in Judaism. I mean, this is all I get from them, right? I get this incredible, positive vibe of this is positive. I love this. I'm interested in it. And many times I think we have to take a step back. And I think, and tell me if you have the same experience from the background. And, you know, you're not a rabbi, you know, you're well-learned, you know, you're successful, you're an attorney, you're a partner in a firm. So you you have sort of a, the, a little bit of a different experience. So you get the people that are both the balabatim out there, and but at the same time you understand what's going on in terms of the rabbanim. Especially when you talk to regular people who may be listening right now. And I find, and I'd love to get your thoughts, I find this almost this like, we don't allow ourselves the... Um, the pleasure, if that can use that word, to just go in positively because we have so much guilt and hangups for not being more. So when we go, and, and it's almost, it feels guilty to say, hey, I'm going to go into Yom Kippur positively. It's almost like, really? Like stop being so Pollyannish. Like do me a favor. Do you know what you got? You're either a Banoni or a Russia. You're getting a D or an F. You know what I'm saying? Like do me a favor. You're not sitting behind the podium. Right. right? You're not giving the drusha. Like you're, you're just a guy. So, Tell me in, in a way how you grapple with that and, and, and what you're thinking of as you're walking in so that people that are listening can say, hey, wait a second, maybe I could give myself the ability to not go in with the guilt and allow myself to, to focus in on what you're focusing in. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I think that a lot of and some of my friends, the thought of going into Yom Kippur like on a, on a positive note, they feel like, I, I can't do that. It's not fair. Who am I? Like you said, you're guilty. Like, I have no right to do that, and, and I'm not, I'm, you know, it's not something I should be doing. Um, you, know, you know, I think a lot of it is just, and this is, again, I, I got from you um, in terms of just overall positive thinking and how that type of approach is going to make you better than negativity, right? Like, you know, I always say when I, when I work, Right. The, the, the best way to get somebody out of get the most out of people who are working for you is to make them feel like you'll do anything for them. And instead of scaring them. Right. Because when they feel like you'll do a lot for them, they're going to want to do a lot for you. Right. I mean, that same sort of positive energy. I, I think it's the same thing when you're approaching Chuva and you're approaching Yom Kippur that, hey, you know, look, I haven't done it right, but I, I just I want to do it better. And uh, whatever, whatever that it is, but I want to do it better. And when you focus on positive, it just it makes it easier. You don't feel have the guilt with you um, when you're trying to make yourself into a better person. Yeah, Rabbi Eisen, I know that we have to, we have to go soon. Rabbi Eisen told over the story about the dad. I don't know if you heard this from him. I, I was Rabbi Eisen told the story about this the dad 
who he knows, whose son had left the family for 20 years. And he said that if my son would just come through the door, it'd be all good. And I think that if we would have that perspective, if we would have the perspective that we are so beloved in God's eyes, and if we would just come through the door, meaning in, in, in our own hearts, right? Like not just go in there and do whatever the job is to get it done, but to actually have those moments, like you're saying, I think it, it would be all the difference if we would just let ourselves have them. Right. And the funny thing is, if you really keep your eyes open, you have them all the time. I'll tell you, today, I took my 17-year-old son suit shopping for Yontif. Um So we drove into the garage in Brooklyn. and uh, you know, Garage? I haven't had a suit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got my wedding suits from the... Not my wedding. I got my Ofra suit from the garage. Yeah, by the way, they have the same suits. Do they really? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, it's, it's like a 45-minute drive from, yeah. from Farakaway. And as we get there, right as I'm driving down there, I know I have a limited amount of time, I see some guy pull out right in front. And I get a spot literally right in front. And so my immediate reaction, this is just like, the way I've sort of trained myself, is wow, does God love us? Yes. And my son looks at me, he's just like, like yeah, he really? does. Really? Yeah, right. like, yeah, he does. Yeah. So like, when I come to Brooklyn, like when I, you know, we're, we're, we're taping live out of Brooklyn for those that are watching. So when I pulled in, there's no spots. It's Brooklyn. <laughs> so I'm going, Hashem, please, just give me a spot. And God's like, please, Charlie. Like, there's only so much I can do. Like, relax. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can handle a C. There's no problem. But get you a spot on Brooklyn. So I circled in park, like, you know, close to my house in Woodmere right. and I walked. So it was okay. <laughs> Josh, it's always great to have you on. Thanks for what you're doing, really. Um, for those that are watching us from home and, and, and listening to this on the radio, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted Josh to come on is because of the role model he is, and I'm going to embarrass him a little bit because I can because the mic is on my mic. Um, you know, it's really important when individuals like Josh, who's a partner at a big law firm, takes the time out to come with us to Israel to inspire people, to give his kishkas, to give his feelings about Judaism. And, and a lot of times in life, we think that the people that should be doing the inspiring are the rabbis, are the people that were sort of in the, in the prof- they're professionally care of people. And we forget that some of the greatest impacts that we can have is when everybody gets involved and people like Josh, where he sits in the business world and the legal world is, is in a place where, where I think he would have the excuse to not come and get, and get involved and help, but you do it anyways. And we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's my kapara for Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. I embarrassed you. So it's all good. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. We're going to go back to Israel right now. Um, Yossi's still in Israel right now. Yossi, Yossi had been preparing clips for us. Um, and he's there with Rabbi Berg, and he has an incredible clip that I want him to, to-, to introduce. Uh, back to you, Yossi, in Israel. Hey, right. As we sit here, it's now uh, almost 4.30 in the morning, Jolly, and Slichas is still going on at the coast, so you should hear a show for blowing very soon. Um, regardless, I, I, in going through the, um, some of the clips, I came across a clip from Rezev Left, you know, Rezev Left from Moshe Matasio. He, he, he brings up an interesting point. You know, we, we do tshuva, and it's Kabbalah al asid You know, you're supposed to you're supposed to accept upon yourself never to do the Avera again. But then we kind of end up doing it again. So he wanted to know in this clip, do we did we not do tshuva on it just because we did it again? I wanted to share this clip, Charlie, with you guys because I felt it was a very um, it was a very interesting clip in terms of the Rambam and uh, doing tshuva with regard to Kabbalah al asid Okay, we're going to go to our left right now. Uh, we're going to uh, play that clip for you that, uh, that Yossi had um, cut through. So let's play that clip. After you regret the sin, you stop doing it, you have to commit yourself not to do it again. And uh, the Rambam says that that commitment has to be so strong that she the love 
Yodea Talumov, until the Rabbonus who knows all hidden things, will testify that you'll never do that sin again. And that seems to be very frightening, because it seems to imply that if you ever do the sin again, then you haven't done two. So the Nosekelev of the Rambam explained that it doesn't mean that if you ever do the Avera again, you haven't done two. It definitely, I don't want to give the impression that it's okay to do the Avera. It definitely is ideal if you don't do the Avera. And that is the ideal. But if you do the Avera again, it's possible you've done two. How so? If it would just be that you never did that Avera again, and that's when the tshuva is complete, right? then why does the Rabbomashon have to testify anything? Just wait till you leave this world, and then see if you ever did the Avera again. If you didn't, you know you did tshuva. And if you don't want to wait, you want to know it on the spot, then why does it help that the Rabbomashon is going to be made? It doesn't tell you. So what is, it, what is the difference of what God testifies? Either you did or you didn't do it. And you can't know ahead of time, even if the Rambam testifies, it doesn't testify to you. So the Nosekelem say what it means is the following. That if when you finished off the tshuva with this component of Kabbalah Vahasim, and you made that commitment that you'll never do it again, you talk a really meant it. And at that moment, you were so committed that if you could freeze that moment in time, Yutaka never would do that Avera again. You come to Ila, Yom Kippur, and you're really, really uh, involved in Shuvah. You really feel it. And you decide that this year you're never going to speak Lashon Hara again. And you really mean it. And you're a Kabbal on yourself, you, you regret the Lashon Hara you spoke last year, and you uh, uh, commit yourself that you're never going to do it again. And you say, and I'm never going to speak Russian horror again. If at that moment, your neighbor would pat, tap, pat you on the shoulder and say, uh, you got to hear this juicy gossip that I hear, you punch him in the mouth. And I then do tshuva for that. But in any case, the punch him, what are we talking about? And I'm never going to speak Russian horror again. I'm committed and finished. Then at that moment, if the Rabboni Shalom can test it, only the Rabboni Shalom can know how strong your commitment is. If you could freeze that moment in time, you could never do the Avera again, then That's an incredible... Um, is Yossi, with, Yossi still with me in Israel? Um, uh, so that was that's an incredible concept that Rabbi Leff just spoke about. Um, I don't know if we got we have him in Israel. If we do, start talking to me over here. Um, I just here. want. Oh, you could. You here? Um, and Vary Bergen was with you. What an incredible! First of all, I want to just say thank you to Torah Anytime. I know. I know you were cutting clips, and Torah Anytime had given you some of those footages. So I just want to give a shout out to Torah Anytime and thank him. I want to just take a second because you cut an incredible clip that I don't want to get lost on our audience here. Rabbi Leff was saying that if at a moment that you're doing tshuva, tell me if I heard this correctly. When you get those moments where you really feel like you've changed, it's at that moment that you really have changed. Is that how you took it? He's What he's saying is that if you could freeze the moment that Hashem could say Adis on you, that you really meant to change, and that at that moment you would never speak Lashonara again, you would punch a guy in the mouth if he wanted to tell, you, know, right. tell you a juicy piece of Lashonara. Then, then Hashem is made that you made a Kabbalah al-Asad not 
to list the Lashonara again. Wow. And and that's what Kabbalah Allah said means. And therefore, if Chas Hashem, we do an Avera again, it doesn't mean that we didn't do Tshuva on it the first time. That's incredible. That's, that's, that's an incredible concept and an incredible video. And thank you guys so much for it over there. I know we're going to get back to you soon um, for some more updates as to what's going on in Israel. We have back in the studio here in Brooklyn, we've got Rabbi Yoni Zakatinsky's in the room over here. Right. Um, we spoke earlier about um, Josh Brody was here, and we spoke about the trips that we take to Israel, um, the opportunities that we have even there. I know Rabbi Berg is in Israel right now. Uh, he was there as well, and, and, and as, the, as the head of age, the CEO, the Mankal, whatever the proper term is, we, we spend a lot of time at the building. We spend a lot of time with Aish. It's a real partnership. you got Project Inspire, Aisha Torah. Everyone comes together, a JWRP to come together to, to inspire people. What I want to turn to and ask you now for the audience here is, you know, as someone who's involved in Kirov, as someone who spent his life uh, helping people, what do you see in people that as they go through the Truva process that inspires you as you go through the Truva process? You know, you see people change their lives. Right, I'm always. I, I gotta tell you, the most inspiring people in the world, the people that I meet on these trips, are people. They're, they're incredible. They're incredible people. They change their lives. They 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 make real changes. They go back home. They 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 change how they treat their children. They, it's all a, a total chuva process. What are you seeing that inspires you, and what you what do you take with you when you're going to Yom Kippur? You know, I first of all, Charlie, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and to bring home the message of tshuva before the, uh, the Yom Hadin, before Yom Kippur, I just want to say the following, that, you know, it's only by the grace of Hashem that we're born into the families that we're born into, and we're born into the families that have educated us. And it's a challenge for us, perhaps even more than the people who are returning to tshuva, mm-hmm. because when it becomes routine, and it, when it becomes mitzvahs anashim milumadav, and it becomes that you're doing the same mitzvahs, you're doing the same davening, you're doing it regularly every single day, every single Shabbos is the same Shabbos, every single davening, every single time we put on tefillin is the same time we're putting on tefillin. However, when you see a new person who is a new Baal Tshuva, who's trying, trying to make changes in their lives, whether it be Shabbos, whether it be Kashris, whether it be Tefillin, whether it be putting on a yarmulke for the first time, keeping Kashris for the first time, to them, it's something momentous. Right. It's something that's something special to them. And it gives us chizuk. That means I always say that more than it does for my family to give over to somebody else the beauty of Yiddishkeit, it does more for my family. More, more than it does right. for their family, it does more for, for my family. And gives us, it's mechazik us. If I had to give a message to the community, to give the message to the people who are out there, is that when you reach out to someone else, you think that you're being makar of them, they're really being makar of right. you. Yeah, I think, I think that's an incredible point. I think people are, um, we, we sometimes forget just how much our actions really impact ourselves. Right. Just how much it, 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 it changes us as a person. Right. I think that my life has been, I, I just want to say one thing that, you know, I go back uh, many years. I was raised in New Haven, Connecticut, and uh, in a small little town. And I remember my father's Zichron Levracha on Rosh Hashanah going to blow chauffeur uh, in Yale New Haven Hospital. After davening, he didn't make Kiddush. He didn't start eating a Seuda, but he went to the hospital and used to schlep up and climb the stairs, 10, sta- 10 stories, you know, is a very tall building in Yale New Haven Hospital, going blow, sh- blow chauffeur for the 
you know, the people who were sick, there was no chaplain there, etc. He just took it, did it on his own. I think that made a fundamental uh, impact upon my life with regards to how I want to care about other Jews. And ultimately, when we see them coming back, and Charlie, you know the stories of the, the people that we've affected, the people, in, I have to say, in Brooklyn that are changing their lives, yeah, yeah. sending their children to yeshivas, changing their homes to become kosher, now keeping Shabbos, etc., etc. It has had an indelible mark on the community here, on the people that are now partnering with them, being their Torah learning partners, inviting to their homes for Shabbos, etc. That there's a real, somewhat of a revolution going on in the community that is really making a, a, a real difference in the outlook of Kiruv today within the, I would say, the Flatbush community, etc. Yeah, oh, th- and that's definitely true. I think what's happening today. Um, here in this community and here in the from communities from around has totally changed. And that, a lot of it was the vision of Rav Noach. Um, and, you know, speaking of Rav Noach, I'd like to go back to Israel. I know that Roy Berg and, and Yossi are back in Israel, and Roy Berg is the um, some, someone who's really got the vision from both his, his days in NCSY and then uh, all that he has done and now at, at Aisha Torah. And Roy Berg and, and Yossi, give us a little sense of what you guys have in mind for next year, what you guys are thinking about, what are some of the things that uh, we're, we're, we sh- we can expect from Asia we should be looking forward to as you guys tackle and in, in uh, um, this incredible opportunity to bring more and more Jews closer to Hashem. You know we always uh, we always talk about Aish, but the truth is our full name is Yeshiva Aisha Torah. Uh, I have to say Yeshiva is literally on fire. That's not just a pun. Uh, we just started this month, and we have uh, over twenty young men that are uh, in our Smicha program, and I would say at least half of those young men. Uh, probably did not grow up knowing an Allah from a Bayes. And to see people with uh, such a limited background that have made a commitment to not only learn Torah, but to learn the rabbis. And if you walk in our base measures right now, you're going to hear Spanish, you're going to hear French, you're going to hear English. Uh, you're gonna, we're literally, we're a global uh, institution. And it's just, uh, it's been incredible to watch. And I think also what's, what's amazing is some of these people that are in the Smitha program are people who grew up from all their lives and they get to watch people Commitment, you know, uh, just yesterday, and um, he was a professional baseball player, and he made a shiva brachas for Shane, a boy here in Aish who got married, and was a professional baseball player. And to watch people who kind of like had it all, they had their careers, you know, they gave it up to something that we sometimes take for granted, especially for people who are in the speaking program, people who, you know, like ourselves, who get to watch this. It's really, it's, it's quite inspirational. Yeah. It's outstanding. You know, I have to tell you, we, we had the other day, we have a program called Mothers with Meaning, which is uh, Imahut, uh, uh, and it's, it's sick of Israel in Tel Aviv. And I sat there, and we were talking to them, and I said, I just want you to understand the context of being in Asia Torah. Uh, you're talking about Shimon Perez, who just passed away, was the chairman of Asia Fellowships. I told them the room that they were standing in at the time was where Prime Minister Netanyahu helped his grandson at his brisk. And on the roof, where we're sitting right now, we just had the speaker of the Knesset, Yuli Edelstein, uh, his uh, chasana, his wedding. Uh, this is a place that speaks to everyone. And one of the things I said to them was, I said, you're in this place where we have always reached out to the highest levels of government. I said, but right now, we are focused on the grassroots. And that's what this slichah uh, these programs have been, about the grassroots Israelis, turning them on to Torah, turning them on to Judaism, and really lighting the fire across this country. I mean, also, I mean, the concept was for so many years that, like, you know, Israelis, they're just, they're so difficult, they're so politically disconnected, 
don't want to be connected to, and to watch Israelis come into the building and be this inspired nation Israeli. Yes, one woman's tonight. My life. She said, I'm Israeli. I've been here my entire life. I needed the Americans to show me how to be Jewish. Wow. And because of that approach, that Kiev approach that flows out of North America, it is really taking hold here in Israel. Um, they appreciate that laid-back approach, that, that, that simcha, that joyousness of, of Judaism. And um, thank God we're being very successful here and across the country. Um, it, it, the truth is, as, as we we sit here as an, an organization sitting here in Yerushalayim, there are so many um, partners of ours that are that are in the states, and you know, even back at the studio, I know that uh, Charlie is, uh, you know, has uh, been so many trips through this building, but now Charlie has the opportunity to uh, uh, to introduce to us somebody who has been a partner of Eishat Torah, a friend of yours, long time friend of, of Eishat Torah and Rav Noach. That's all. All right, uh, Charlie, back to you guys in, in New York. Thanks so much, Yossi. Thanks so much, Robert Berg. It's an honor to hear you guys talk and to get it back from Israel. Joining me right now in the studio is uh, Mr. Isaac Gross and Rabbi Chaim Samson, um, two individuals who are at the helm of Project Inspire, a lot of what's going on. In particular, for those of you who are anywhere, you're seeing tons of advertisements and excitement for a project that's going to take place right after Yom Kippur called the Shabbos Project. It's a project that has united communities from all over the country, all over the world, and has really brought thousands of people throughout the entire United States to an exciting uh, observance of Shabbos, an understanding of Shabbos between all the stuff that goes on, and it really was um, powered by these two people that are in front of us. Um, Isaac, thanks so much for joining us, and Rabbi Samson, thanks so much for joining us as well. So give us a little bit as to why the Shabbos Project. I know that you're an individual who has been um, a leader in the community. There are hundreds of people that are getting you for your time and asking you to get involved in projects. So you have, there's no shortage of things that you could have gotten involved in. But yet you picked this. How come? Well, you, you know uh, my involvement with Rav Noach and my uh, uh, love for mm-hmm. Aisha Torah has been many, many years. Rav Noach used to spend Shabbosim at my house whenever he was in New York. And... Um, he basically changed my life, and he changed my attitude, um, and he brought out something very important. Uh, the point is that um, not to just pass by somebody that it doesn't have the same uh, feelings for Yiddishkeit that we do, and to understand and deal with them with a compassion and a sense of it's our responsibility to God's children. Uh, Rav Noach used to use a great example and said, can you imagine if you had your neighbor and his son got lost and how you would help your neighbor find his son? And I recall many years ago, if you remember, there was a case where a bunch of girls from school went to a certain forest out in Rhode Island or Massachusetts by the tip there, by the border, and this girl, Suri Feldman, got lost. And I remember I got a call from one of my uh, banking associates from Chase Manhattan Bank who called me up, and he says he lives across the street. And all of a sudden he couldn't understand it because every week there was a school kid got lost. And all of a sudden, this Jewish girl gets lost, and a thousand people in 24 hours come searching for this girl. Incredible. 
and he never saw a site like they said sometimes we have and not even a parent shows up and here in one day in 24 hours you have tents being put up cooks and Hatzola and everybody across from all over the country coming to look for this lost child and it got me thinking and it got me thinking could you imagine your neighbor and could you imagine especially now that we're talking, we're in Aseris made Tshuva, which is the closest point we can get to the Rabban Shalalem, and we can bring his children home. We can find his children, help him bring his children home. That's what it's all about. Why do we see it as Suri Feldman, and we can't see it that these are God's children? Right. And we don't bring those children home. And when I read about... The chief rabbi from South Africa, Rabbi Warren Goldstein, who on his own volition decides to do a Shabbos in South Africa and has 25,000 people celebrating a Shabbos. And then I remembered something else Reb Noach said. Reb Noach said, quoted, I think it was Reb Shach, that if one person was created like Adolf Hitler, Mach Shemai that was created to can do so much evil, could you imagine how much good God created into a person? And when I read about Rabbi Goldstein, that one person was able to bring 25,000 people to experience a Shabbos. And I said to myself, this is Rav Noah's dream about waking the sleeping giant. Right. Let's take this Shabbos project and take it throughout the world. Right. And I contacted Rabbi Goldstein and others, and we got the Shabbos project, and this is going to be our third year. And last year we hit over a million people, celebrated Shabbos in one form or another, and they never forgot it. Right. I know my own experiences from people in my office and from people that I meet and people that I know, it changed their whole perception of Shabbos. Once people used to say, Mr. Gross, when are you going into your cocoon? I got to know, how long do I got? And now they've experienced it. There's a respect for it. They understand. This is, you know, they, they understand when I say to them, you think you're free? I'm free. Right. It's not a burden. I'm free for 25 hours. I don't have no cell phone, no distractions. I spent $25,000 on uh, 25 hours on spirituality, on myself, my family, my children, my grandchildren. What can you do? Right. You know, it's interesting you say that, and I'd love to get Rabbi Sampson's opinion. It's interesting you say what you're saying, that I think a lot of the reason why, especially before Yom Kippur, people get nervous, is because all of us have a comfort zone. And we all know, hey, listen, this is what I do. And I can't do more. I got it. I'm okay. God hasn't zapped me. He hasn't killed anybody. I'm okay. I've, I've been living in my, like you said, almost like my cocoon for so long. And I do what I do. I don't do what I don't do. And to come out of that comfort zone and do something new, do something better, that seems a little bit too much. Hearing you speak, you in the business world, I have, I'm in the business world. Well, I, I know your reputation and how people look up to you in the business world. I can only imagine somebody who's next to you going, Hey, wait a second. If he can go out and he can go in and nothing's happening to him, right? He's not losing his job. He hasn't, he has his career hasn't cratered because he stopped becoming available for 25 hours. So a lot of times I think in our own tshuva process, and I'd love to get Rabbi, your position on this. It's really just us saying, Hey, wait a second. I know I do what I do, 
but maybe if I just tried something, maybe if I just pushed it a drop, maybe I could be a little more. Do you, in your experience, you've been doing Kira for so long. I always say, I remember the story when you when Project Hard just started. I was one of the few people in the beginning. And your vision and, and how many people you've seen, do you find that when people can get over that hump, the, do, the, the doors open up? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I think it's true of all of Odis Hashem that uh, Kodesh Baruch who just wants us to try. And, and everything starts with that. And uh, as we've spoken about many times, Rav Noah Hoysi always used to say, when you think you can't succeed, so he would put his arm around our shoulder and say, if Hashem was on your side, if he could help you, do you think you could succeed? And right. we, were, we felt caught. Of course, if God would help us, then there's nothing that you can't do. Right. So that, when you have that awareness, and that's really the, the high holidays, the days of awe, all about realizing that a Kodesh Baruch is close and he's with us. And even though that's the ikka of all of our Vodas Hashem, is that awareness that there is a, a Kodesh Baruch who somehow through our lives, we sort of tend to forget about that a little bit. And yeah. we need that Rosh Hashanah, that power, these powerful Aserosi Mechuva that bring that back. But what comes with that awareness is realizing that you really can do it. There's nothing you can't do. So, so, so those things which are most uncomfortable, whether it's tshuva, in our own tshuva, our own, the difficult things that we're struggling with, yeah, you can do it. But the, the, the ikha, even in our vote, is to try. Try to do something that makes yeah. sense. But you've got to at least try. And I think during this period of time, they need us. Yeah. And, and there's a beautiful thing, if, if I could share with you, Charlie. I said a beautiful thing. I know that you're a fan of the Nasiva Shalom, but he talks how during this time period that we, we've, you know, we've all done chatayim. It's part of a little bit of being human. But our attitude towards our chatayim is really what's being tested during this time period. And he said, imagine you were mean to the king. You showed a lack of cover to the king. You really blew it with him. You made a fool of him. And then you see him again. He's right in front of you. And you act like nothing happened. As the Siva Shalom points out, that's worse than the hate itself. Mm-hmm. If, if it's as if you did nothing, right? How can it be when the king's right in front of you? When we do a hate, Rahman Lutzlan, that's often because <laughs> there was things pushing us, there was a little bit of onus. But after the fact, after the Tiber is gone, after the Giver is gone, whatever it is, yeah, then what, how do you feel about it? Right. it and when mean? Hashem is close during the Aseris Mechuva, and you don't regret it? That's, ter- that's why the Ikron on Yom Kippur is regret, it's charata. Hashamnu, begadnu, gazonu. The most, and when Hashem sees that we regret it and we want to try to change, that's the most important thing. They're trying to change, right? That's the most, and the regret. Mm-hmm. So, likewise, right? Yeah. If the king is in front of you, right? Our father, Av, and his children are lost, like Isaac was saying. The Kaddish Baruch's children are lost. And we're in front of the king. What are we going to respond? Are we going to react to that when he's right in front of us and his children are gone? Are you going to say something? Are right. you going to respond? Are you going to say, I want to... Almighty, my father, I know my brothers and sisters are lost. Now is the time that I'm going to say, make a commitment to you to try to reach out. Yeah. Surely now is that's the time. That's a, that's a great At least point. to try. Yeah, and, and, and before we go to Israel, I want to turn to you. Yeah, you're going to say something. I, I was going to say two things in, in addition. Number one is a great letter that was written to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, 
when somebody wrote him, he was a mechanic, a teacher in school, and he taught Russian children. This goes back in the 1970s. And he writes the letter, uh, the Rebbe letter, and he says, he'd like to ask the Rebbe's permission, he wants to leave Chinuch, because he's totally not successful, that he hasn't had an effect on one Russian person. And the Rebbe, and it, it was great language to see the Rebbe says, what is success? Who decides what success is? You think success is that the boy put on a kapata and a black hat and a gartel? That's, who decides what success is? Your job is not to decide what success is. Your job is to teach them two things. Teach them there's a God and teach them they're Jews. That's it. The rest is up to him. It's That's his great. problem. That's great. You've planted the seed. That's one. The second part, and uh, we, you alluded to it previously, this is not about, and Yoni said that as well, this is not about us as much as what it does to us. Right. Could you imagine sitting around the Shabbos table, and I'm sitting there with my two daughters and my son, and this 14-year-old Russian girl who's spending Shabbos with us. And she's telling us how she can never eat a whole week anything kosher in her house because her mother will not allow any kosher food in the house. And she lives all week on vegetables, and the only hot meal that she has all week is when her mother allows her to go away for Shabbos. Wow. And... My daughters are listening to this 14-year-old girl, and my daughter looks at it and says, well, what do you mean? Can't you put... No, my mother doesn't allow anything kosher in the house. She doesn't believe in it. The sacrifices that a child like this makes, you know what kind of roishim, what kind of impression this is on other girls? Yeah, it's amazing. And, when you're, and seeing that, I have one of the boys that I was very proud this week called me up to say to me, Mr. Gross, and his name is Mendel Berlin, and I'm mentioning him because he sends out a blog to 6,000 people every Shabbos, every Friday, he sends out his Divrei Torah. This is a boy that didn't even know he was Jewish. Wow. And I think that's what it's about. I mean, it's these small little things. That and he has five, chi four children. And you look at that, yeah. and this is not you changed one person. You changed generations. Yeah. And there's a tremendous great feeling that these are your kids, these are my grandchildren right. you know, looking at it in that sense and this is what we have the ability of doing and it's a small thing because they're hungry for it Yeah, absolutely, I know that we've got uh, Yossi Friedman and Rabbi Steve Berg in Israel right now, I know they've got questions for you as well let's go to Israel for some questions for uh, Mr. Gross and Rabbi Samson so first of all, I just want to start by apologizing to Mr. Gross, uh, I hung up the phone with him two hours ago and I told him I was going to sleep, and I never actually made it there, so uh, I'm sorry about that. But I, I do want to mention one thing, and I think this is, this is really important, given Project Inspire Nature Torah. Um, you may not be aware that Mr. Gross uh, really helped fund the, pro the Shabbos Project here in Israel. And I spoke to Rabbi Goldstein, who is an amazing person and a good friend. Uh, Chief Rabbi Goldstein came to Israel and was not sure how to get the Shabbos Project going here in Israel. Uh, and he told me that he connected... Uh, with H. Israel and our secular Israeli women that are part of a group called Mothers of Meaning, and they were actually the catalyst last year. Uh, these women, and you talk about anyone being able to get up and inspire and to grow and to build, 
and the fact that you know Mr. Gross from Brooklyn to our Israeli women uh, here in Israel through the rabbi in South Africa, that is really what the Jewish people are all about. We had 130 Shabbos projects last year in Israel. Amazing. Wow. Amazing. It's incredible. So let me ask you this, and, I, and I, if you guys have a question, great. If not, I've got a lot of questions. We don't have a lot of time, but I wanted to get this from you before uh, we move on. Um, a lot of people may be watching this, seeing you, seeing you going, okay, these guys are the heads. You know, always the heads make the biggest difference. Maybe I don't have the resources, I don't have the time, I don't have the expertise, I don't have the charisma, I don't have the knowledge. I'm a regular guy. I'm going to go to Tim Kipper. Hashem hopefully will forgive me, and I'm going to go back to my life. Now it's a Sarah Smechuva. I'm getting excited. I want to make a difference this year. What do you tell a guy who doesn't feel, or a woman, who doesn't feel like they are the influencer to make sure they know how important they are to our effort? The first thing that I think we have to ask ourselves, why doesn't it bother us? Why doesn't it bother us that when we see our brethren, and these are people that grew up, it's not their fault, this was generations, whatever happened, whether it was a holocaust, whether it was somebody that going off, or whatever the reasons were. I mean, if you lived through a Shabbos project like we did last year, we had the boy that was holding the Avdullah who had 39 tattoos. And when I asked him, why do you have 39 tattoos? And he said he served in Iraq. And each one of the tattoos represented one of his friends that got killed in Iraq. That's what, and we had him hold Avdullah. And we find out, subsequent to the Shabbos, we found that we connected him with his grandfather, who he never knew, because his parents were divorced, so he never met his father's father, who was a Hasidic Yid in Muncie. I mean, this is unbelievable, the satisfaction that you get, and you have to, you know, just try it. You know, it's like somebody telling you, try something that will be so fulfilling to you, so great. Um, all the things that we do on it, and one of the questions you ask, why Shabbos? It's interesting because everything came to place when I read this article about Rabbi Goldstein, why Shabbos? And actually, I was learning at that time Sefer Yermio. And... There's a passage in Yermio which says basically that God says to Yermio, you know, everything I can live with, they're doing a Vaidizora, I'm not jealous. But one thing I can't understand is why they forsake Shabbos. And I was thinking to myself, 613 mitzvahs, and why is God picking Shabbos? So I started looking at the Mepharshim, and the Mepharshim say it. I don't remember exactly who said it, but it's very simple. You see, Shabbos was there before the Torah was. Shabbos was created before the Torah was given. It was there. And the essence is if somebody keeps Shabbos or somebody sees Shabbos, that will change it in everything, in every sense. That's the key. Get somebody to buy off on Shabbos, you got him. Amazing. Well, on behalf of all of Clive, I want to thank both of you, really. Thanks for coming (laughs) us on the show and thanks for continuously giving people the opportunity to get involved and I'm sure people will be inspired and I hope and if you're around and you're listening to this get involved in the Shabbos project and make the commitment before Yom Kippur we're here we're inspired we're hearing it 
Whatever it is, whether it's a chalabek or a Shabbos meal, there's a lot of opportunity to be involved, but the time is now to commit to right after, after Yom Kippur, the Shabbos project. It would be a great feeling if people can invite somebody for that Shabbos, to spend Shabbos. If we can help you, please contact Project Inspire. We're here to help you. Don't worry. Even if they're going to ask you a question that you don't know, just say, we'll get back to you. We'll find out there's nothing embarrassing with right. it. To the contrary, it's great. You're human. Yeah. And Yeah, I'll tell you one story because then we've got to go. You know, people get so nervous about not knowing answers. So Lori Palatnik, who is, you know, a, a legend into her own, tells a story that she would go to rabbis and ask questions, and they would come up with answers that never really sat with her. And she went to one rabbi in Israel. Rabbi, it wasn't Rabbi Noah, it was somebody before him because he knew every answer. And he said, she asked him a question. He said, I don't know. She's like, what? He goes, that's a great question. And she said that at the moment where they see the rabbi at the shop, and people said, I don't know. She's like, hey, wait a second. Like, I don't got to be perfect. I can also be on the road. And that understanding that this person in front of them was just being genuine, opening up the home, letting them in without having every single answer actually was an inspiration to her. So... Just to, uh, yeah. just to say, just to put it together, yeah. Yom Kippur, just a, a, Please, a, just a yeah. thought that, you know, we know that, uh, that you know, when we say the Al Hashem, we say it in plural, right? And certainly we understand that, uh, like the Isha Shunamis said to Elisha, Besoch Ami Anochi Yosheves, that when we're connected to Klal Yisrael, then surely the din on us is lessened. The Rachm, it, it, it's Ma'ore Rachmim of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. When yeah. we see ourselves as part and connected to the rest of Klal Yisrael, and we make a commitment to our brothers and sisters are so far gone. Not only should we be doing tshuva for ourselves, but if we can help others do tshuva, we can make that commitment, surely the din on us will be so much greater. And I think that's what the, um, uh, that we, that we say that Hashem is Hashem Silcha. He's yeah. like his shadow. What do you mean yeah. he's like his shadow? You know, so the Talmud explains that if you, you know, have rachamim on people, if you let things go during yeah. this time, then Hashem will let things go. But so, all the more so, if you make a commitment to try to bring back Kodesh Baruch's children during this time, how much more so Hashem's going to help you with your tshuva and your children with your tshuva? So certainly, in answer to your question, is this the time to make a little bit of a commitment, even if it's hard for us? Even if, it's just a matter of, like, like Isaac is saying, it's just a matter of caring. Yeah. If we can choose to care enough, yeah. then... But, but realization, this is not about Kirov. This is not about Kirov. This is more about saving the Jewish people. We're losing a million people every year. A million children are assimilating every year. Understand that if you put those numbers together, Hitler wasn't so bad. Right. Look what we are losing. Yep, absolutely. That's what we have to remember. We're saving the Jewish nation. Yep. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go back to head- Jewish Saving Nation's headquarter, back to Israel, Yassi, Rabbi Berger there. Um, we're gonna. We have a new clip to play for people. So those who are sitting around, we can actually play a clip from Avram Shore. Um, so uh, Yossi found the clip. Yossi, give us a little bit as to what you had in mind and the clip that the people can expect. Back yeah, I mean, first, firstly, I just wanted to uh, thank uh, Mr. Isaac Gross and Rabbi Samson. Uh, Mr. Gross's company, GFI, has been a sponsor of the Shabbos Project and uh, been a partner of Project Inspire. Uh, Roy Berg, when I was going through some of the clips, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me is that. Um, we say to ourselves, like, okay, look, I do so many good things. I do so many mitzvahs. I do so many. But do I really have to do all 630 mitzvahs? Like, like, 
isn't it enough that I do this? And by the way, people that are coming back to Shuba ask all the time, like, isn't it enough that I did this or did that? And I found a beautiful clip from a Rebbe Shor. It's a little old. You guys have to forgive the quality a little bit, but the message is uh, the message is, uh, is is quite amazing. And Charlie, uh, he has another clip that I think uh, will inspire you. So here we are, about to get the clip right now. I'm Rebbe Shor, and I want to thank again Yassi for your hard work in getting these clips and getting it to people. So we are going to um, just just we're going to clue up, we're going to cue that clip right now. So those that are sitting around. Uh, is ready to go. Here we go. Let me tell you over a mashal from the Chofetz Chaim. And I want everybody to listen very clearly to this mashal because it's, every single person needs to hear it. There was a family that lived, says the Chofetz Chaim, an almana with children outside of a town in a hut, freezing cold in the winter, no fire, no wood. One night, the cold was so bad, they started to look for wood. And they found the train tracks. And they decided, there's not many tracks. What will happen if we pull out one piece of wood? Nothing. So they took out one piece of wood, went back home, made a fire, slept the first night in a long time. In the middle of the night, the train came. And the train derailed. Everybody got killed. Here we are. We're back right now. and hope everybody enjoyed such an inspirational clip. We're here joined with Dr. Chaim Abitan. What we try to do on the show is not only give you some ruchnias, some spirituality, we try to give you a little bit of the physical as well here. We're a full-service operational organization. Lots of times when we prepare for Yom Kippur, it becomes a food fest. I know that I have been starting to eat the week before, non-stop, because God forbid should I have one day off from eating. And we get into this panic mode of what do we eat. The suda beforehand becomes just like, you know, the suda of Achashverosh. It's just so much food. And we assume that the more we eat, the better it's going to be. So what we did here is figured, let's bring in a doctor, right, who is an expert in this particular area, who's also a Tamil Chacham. So we get it all in once. So, Dr. Abitan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. So, talk to us a little bit about how do we prep? What would be the ideal way for a Jew? It's now Sunday, so you got 48 hours. You got Monday, you got Tuesday. What, what should we be doing Monday and Tuesday to in, ensure that we're preparing ourselves physically properly for the fast? So, first, think about a marathon. This is a marathon. We have to pace ourselves. And you have to take yourself slowly. If you push yourself too quickly in the beginning of the marathon, you collapse right. along the way. So it's the same thing with fasting. Um, you have to prepare yourself tomorrow already, which is, uh, I guess, like 48 hours before, less than 48 hours before. You have to start already trying to increase some of the fluids that's in your, in your system. Mm-hmm. Normally, we recommend that pe- people sh- a normal person should drink approximately half of their weight in ounces. So if you weigh... 160 pounds, you should be drinking 80 ounces a day. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you wake up in the morning and power notes. down 80 ounces. I'm taking Because that doesn't work. Hold on a second. I got to take notes as you speak. Okay. <laughs> so it's half the weight in ounces. Okay, go half on. Half the weight in ounces. Um, so normally what's recommended is to, is to drink um, about 150% of your needs the day prior. 
So tomorrow. Wow, I didn't know let's that. Let's say, I, I'm not going to ask you what you weigh, but let's say someone weighs 160 pounds. I'll take, take it. Sort of an average That's what person. I weigh. So 80 ounces. So you have to drink 120 ounces tomorrow. So tomorrow, you, you it's it's 150% of your of whatever the ounces that you're going to need. Okay. So in that case, it's 120 ounces. Okay. So again, you don't just power it down in the morning. You do that gradually through the day. You pace yourself as you go through the day. Um, the way to do that, they've actually looked at marathoners. There's a, a marathon in South Africa where they run, it's 50-something miles that they run. People actually die during the marathon because they become hyponatremic. Their sodium drops because they overdrink or they underdrink. So they've actually studied these, these extreme athletes, and they can absorb approximately one liter of fluid per hour. But now they've looked at normal people like us. Wow. And we can absorb somewhere between 12 and 16 ounces per hour. You can absorb. So you should not drink more than... I got my fluids. They already, <laughs> brought, me, they already brought me fluids. Just let right, me so the, me problem, the problem with these is this is 23, 23 ounces. Okay. So don't drink that in an hour. That you drink over two hours. Okay, so you can't, your, your body can't absorb more than how much? These cells in the body, which means your storage cells, cannot absorb more than 12 to 16 ounces per hour. And the average person... We're not talking about runners and endurance people wow. like that. And that's why you'll notice that if you overdrink and you power down this Wait a in a short time period, you're going to run to the bathroom. Wait a second. I, I, I don't know about you at home, but every person I know sits at the Suda and just exactly. just guzzles. I mean, Powerades right. and water. And then when you're done, you drink more and more. And you're saying that is not a good that idea. That is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And when you get to Kol Nidre, <laughs> what happens? I'm in the bathroom. Your stomach is killing yeah. you. You're running, running outside. Yeah. It, 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 it yeah. doesn't work. You have to pace yourself through the day because the cells have to absorb it. Because remember, you're drinking so you can maintain yourself for 26 hours. Okay. So you're, you, so you, you, you double... Your your pay or your your hundred and fifty percent the day before the day before okay, and, the, and, and then the day of do hundred percent. So it's about least. twelve to sixteen ounces per hour per hour all day. Correct. Because then your you body can do the is the mass about ten hours. Correct. Uh huh. Wow. And so then by the time you get to the fast, your body yeah. is has absorbed enough, Correct. so you don't feel like you're bloated, but at the same time your cells have right. enough. Okay, Correct. that that's a game changer for me because I had no idea. So, the, so, so, do you drink water or Powerade water or grape juice or if you're electrolytes? not exercising, water is the best. When you're exercising, we worry about changes in electrolytes from sweat. That's so when I heard, so when I heard like ten years ago from somebody that the best way to prep for a fast is electrolytes, that wasn't true. No, that's because Powerade and and Gatorade became kosher. Oh, so is that what it was? We had, to drink, they, we had to drink it. They were we had no choice. They were representatives of Powerade. <laughs> what did they do before? What did your grandmother tell you to do? Right. Well, they were they were in different. My grandmother right. was, you know, she was able to survive on whatever. Correct. Yeah. You know, I had a patient who's actually a, a, a woman who runs real marathons, and she came to me because around mile fifteen, she would actually have to stop, run to the bathroom, and she actually had some bleeding from the rectum, wow. and it's called runner's ischemic colitis, and it's secondary to dehydration. So I wow. sat with her two days before a marathon when she met me, and I told her exactly this, and I told her how to drink, 
And she called me up after the weekend, and she said it's the first time in two years that I did not have to stop, and I didn't have any bleeding, and everything was perfect. So when you go through Yom Kippur, you're not, you don't feel dehydrated at the end. You don't feel, no. wow, unbelievable. Okay, I hope everyone, and just, just for everyone who's at home that's missing this prescription, just email pro, radio at projectinspire.com. We'll send it to you. We'll send you the, the doctor's prescription, exactly what you need. So you can hear it from him live, and then if you say, hey, I don't have a pen, and and you, how do I figure out my weight? And whatever it is, it's less, of course, than, than anyone here thinks. So you're fine. And then if you need, um, we have it for you here. But let's let's move into uh, food. Right. What, what do you do with regards to food? So the most important thing is don't eat this massive pseudohamaseket. Don't just don't pile. pile it. Eat a very large breakfast. On Wait, now we're on Tuesday. We're on Tuesday. Okay. Arav, Arav is there anything we should be eating Tomorrow, Monday. You can increase some pastas if carbs. you want. Carbs. And complex carbs are the best thing. So rice, pastas, uh, potatoes, things uh-huh. like that are very good. Okay. So and now, okay, so that, that's... Because those absorb, also hold on to water more long term. Got it. So, so these, okay, okay, these don't, don't only make you fat, right? They also Correct. absorb water. Correct. Okay, so, so for, it's all good the day before you don't Correct. Care. So now we got... And you won't get fat. The day before you Kippur, <laughs> right. it's impossible. So now, so now we're at Tuesday. We're at Erev Yom Kippur. What do you eat? So for breakfast, yeah. try to eat eggs, some protein, protein. And things like that for breakfast. And eat a large breakfast if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, then for lunch, have like a moderate-sized lunch. With a lot of carbs. Lots of carbs also. Okay. And then for Suda, I'm similar. So, so tell me about the Suda, the Suda because in the Suda, you no get... No salty foods. No salty foods. No salty foods. Salt makes you crave more and more water. Okay, so, you, so stay away from salt. So, so when you see these sudas mafsekas with tons of food, like a Shabbos meal, you're you're That's cringing. Absolutely the wrong thing to do. So w- absolutely wrong thing. Try to eat. What know, do you, you have, have? What do you have at your suda before? Well, you, we have we have soup, but no salt. My wife does not put salt in the in soup. anything. No, because then you're going to crave. You're going to want to drink a lot more. And that's going to hurt, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to you overdo have, it. You can have plain chicken. So you can eat a real soup. I'm a second. We eat sweet. Sweet? Uh, no, sweets you shouldn't have. Sweet or salty? Sweet. So bland. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you the best thing to think about. The Gemara says that on Erev Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol was not supposed to have basar shamein, chalav, and uh, I think it was beitzim. That he couldn't have. So mm-hmm. those are things baits and fatty. Meat, and you can have, but fattier things you shouldn't have. Cheeses you shouldn't have. Why not cheeses? Because it's halav again, and that's no dairy products. Dairy products again make you crave and also. And okay, so there's no salt. You're trying to stay away from salt, dairy, um, su- anything that that tastes good. You want yeah. basically a yeah. bland day. High of food. fiber is great because that also is going to allow you to hold on to water. Carbs, complex fibers, etc. Okay. Mm-hmm. Caffeine. Oh, let's. Oh, wow. Okay, let's do, let's do right. caffeine. So we're a little late for caffeine. So for the you coffee started addicts. like two weeks ago. Um, but two weeks. You have to slowly reduce the caffeine. Okay, well, that's not going to happen. Caffeine headache, and then how do you deal with it? Right. So, so what, what you should for, be doing for the coffee is coffee drinker. What do we do? Reducing the coffee already tomorrow. So I don't know how many cups a day you drink. I drink one cup in the morning, I'm one up. very large cup. Tomorrow I'm going to have maybe three quarters to a half of my normal cup, and then on Erev Yom Kippur I'll cut it down to half of that. Okay, so I heard differently. I heard that if you're a coffee drinker, you can just go to Suda Mafsekas, power up, and get a huge thing of coffee, and that'll last. Right, so that's the emergency. That's, okay. your, that's your SOS, save me just before, drink a cup of coffee. Okay. That should push you through. 
But remember, coffee also is a diuretic. That means it makes you pee. Yeah. So there's something called anti-diuretic hormone that we have in our body that doesn't make us run to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. When we drink caffeine, we drink alcohol, it suppresses this anti-diuretic hormone, and you have to run to the bathroom. I got it. So okay. when you drink a cup of coffee, that's that's you where you're coming. Right. I got it. So but but otherwise, what if someone's experiencing a, a caffeine headache on Yom Kippur, what should they do? That's a, there's nothing you can do. Nothing what I say do. is you can you can sniff on cinnamon, you know, snuff oh, is that, that help? people do. Yeah, it's been shown to actually suppress the appetite. Really? And give you energy. Interesting. This, this mental energy just strengthens you. And that's why you see in the, you remember probably from the Swati shuls also, I remember this, they have a little snuff. Yeah, of course. And then yeah, walk around shul and it gives you all this this extreme energy that you get during davening. Right. And so what else, give us give us sort of um, stuff that I'm not thinking about asking you. What are the things that we could think about now? I know that so time is running out the So on the Tanit, on the fast itself, uh-huh. the, what I find works is people have this tendency to concentrate on I'm fasting, I'm starving, I'm thirsty. Right. Those are, that's the worst thing to think about. Uh-huh. Take your mind off of the food. And how do you do that? Daven. Think about the davening. Think about the tefillah that you're doing. Think about doing chuba, everything you've been speaking about tonight. Yeah. Think about the words of tefillah. And what you're saying is it's not just a good idea spiritually. It's actually going to help you physically because right. as your mind obsesses over the food, it only sends signals right. to your brain that makes you even hungrier. Right. There's a 20-minute delay when people have a craving. Studies have shown, let's say you, you love chocolate and you have a chocolate craving and you don't want to eat chocolate because you're on a diet. Mm-hmm. Somehow take your mind off the chocolate for about 20 minutes and that craving will disappear. It's the same thing with food. The food craving will just disappear. Um, anata need itself, if you get sick, this is actually very important. Anyone who is a, taking medications or a chola or anything like that, it's extremely important to ask a rav. The rav may ask you to ask a doctor, and then the rav and the doctor can speak, but it's extremely important that you speak to, you speak to a rav. Don't be machmir on yourself. There's, you know, y- you should concentrate on, we have a shulchan arach. So on Erev Yom Kippur, Gemara brings down on Yom Chi, you're supposed to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. So also, that's another way to increase your 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 positives, your mm-hmm. positive mitzvot. Is while you're eating and preparing and doing this drinking and everything else, I'm doing a mitzvah to prepare myself for Yom Kippur. Right. If you get sick on Yom Kippur, it's very important. Remember, if if low alain or somebody has to eat and they have to eat the shiurim based on what right. the rabbanim tell them, they shouldn't get depressed. Remember the Shulchan Aruch. There's Simanim. Right. You know, Rav, Zilber, Rav Zilberstein has a uh, has a sefer that's several hundred pages long. What to do with a chola on Yom Kippur? Right. What do you do? What do you do with um, vegetables? Do you avoid them the day before? Like no, no, no. You can eat vegetables yeah? the day before, 100. percent You shouldn't stay away from the vegetables. No, don't healthy. Put, don't put dressing salt. on it and right. salt, salt and everything else. Right. That's Amazing. Good. And also, watermelon is good. Other melons because those are high high in high in water. Excellent. Wow. Okay. And, and I think what, what I'm getting from you, which is really important, which is for those who are getting it at home, I hope, which is you can be doing things tomorrow if you're using your mind. And now that I have you on the show, you tell us what – because everything you told me right now, I mean, well, we've done this three times and everything you told me feels like it's brand new. Because <laughs> as soon as you – I'm like, what do you mean? I'll just drink coffee all day because I'm up to seven cups and I'll just power up you know, eight Powerades before the meal and it will all be good. But I think what you're getting at, we need to understand is that if you want to have a great Yom Kippur, you got to make sure the horse – Right, your right. body yeah. is in its optimal state. There's no right. mitzvah to make yourself sick because you're just so scared to go 24 hours a day. Right. I think that's the biggest thing. Do you find that in your practice? I know we got to go. I know this the segment's ending, but do you find in your practice that people, or or forget even your practice, you're you're in shul. I see you around. People, I'm sure, asking you this question a million times. It's the fear 
of not being able to eat yes. that drives a Jew crazy. You know yes. what I'm saying? And that's why you have to take your mind off of that. Don't don't be fearful. We we all think about last Yom Kippur. Right. We got you made through it. it. You made we it. made it. We made it to yeah. the finish line. Right. And you can think do it again this year. So much harder. Right. Yeah. 100%. It's in the summer. It's boiling yeah. hot here. You're in shul. Yeah. You can make it. Yeah. Also, if you're older and you have difficulty standing, standing burns more calories, makes you more thirsty. Sit. You don't. You can sit. You're yeah. allowed to sit in shul. Let's sit more. Ask your, ask your local rub, but obviously right. you can sit. More. Also, breaking your fast. It's very important that you don't just oh, go let's and talk eat. About that. Don't go and eat sugar. So start with either water or a fruit drink. To start, yeah, and then you can eat lightly afterwards, yeah. Yeah. but don't eat sugar or anything like that. Got it. Okay. Well, doctor, thanks so much for joining us. What an honor! Thank, Thank you. you for Thank the opportunity, for and for those that are that are paying attention, to this this is great. This is some real practical advice. What we're going to do now is we have one other clip to play for you. Um, I know that Yossi's out in Israel, but I'm going to just sort of I'm going to cue the clip uh, myself. I'll tell you why because this person who is our next clip is my Rebbe. This is an individual who I've gotten so much from and uh, am. Really grateful, too. And now that uh, Dr. Abitan, I know, Davin's with me in the same shul. Um, and I just want to say thank, thank you, Jesse, for finding this clip. Let's go to a clip from Moshe Weinberger. He's going to tell over a story that I think may, uh, that may really inspire you. Let's turn to the clip right now. Lodge 1939. Not a good place to be for Jews. There was a shidduch, there was a chasna, a 17-year-old, a 17-year-old chasidish abacha with a 16-year-old chasidish girl. They didn't know each other at all. They were allowed to see each other for a moment, and that's it. And as it was then, and even now, in some circles, it was just with the family they came together. Also, the Kaddish is a Ishad Shirena for a split second. And the next thing they know, they're under the Chuppah. 17 year old boy, 16 year old girl. Chasna. And after the Chasna, they go home to the Dira, to the apartment that was prepared for them. Apachat, they don't know each other. And the Chassan and the Kala together, they're very awkward and uncomfortable. And the Kala turns to the Chassan and says, This was not my choice. It's a true story. This was not my choice. I don't want this and I can't live with you. And before anything took place, this is right when they came home. She turned around and she left. You can't imagine the tzibrachim kite of the chasen, the humiliation. Three days after that, three days after the kala disappeared, the Nazis appeared. And the chasen was taken away to concentration camp. And during those long years, the Jews from Lodz felt the hand of Hitler for a long time. Those who were able to make it to the end of those years. 
and the chassan was in concentration camp, and the whole time he was there, even though he was so wounded by his wife, his wife of, a, of an hour or two, he was so wounded. He didn't stop thinking about her. And he believed with all of his heart that if there would be a second chance, that if somehow she was alive, she would survive, that perhaps, perhaps, they'd be able to resume and to continue where they left off, and that she would come back to him, and they'd be able to build a life after the ruins. And the chassan survived, and he finally made his way back to the misery of Lodge, and he went every day to the office that they had, the highest the Americans had, looking for the lists and the names, hoping to find the name of his, of his bride, of his caliph. And one day when he came there, she was standing there looking at the list herself. And she turned around, and she saw him, they both began to cry. And at the same time, they began to say, I never stop thinking of you. And this is what she said. She said that I was supposed to die a thousand times. But I begged the Rebbein to keep me alive. So that I would be able to see you again. And to beg for forgiveness. To ask for Slicha, Mechila and Kapar. And then she was crying and she said, I beg you to forgive me. I was a little girl. I didn't know. I didn't give you a chance. I was only angry because my parents forced me into the marriage. But I know that you're good and I want to make this work. If you'll give me a chance and forgive me. And he said to her, you should know that even though I was so hurt, I didn't stop thinking about you all of those years. And I didn't stop worrying about you and davening for you that you were alive. And the one who told this story was Shlomo Kalabach. Because this couple spent their first Shabbos in America in the home of his father, the great Tamachach and Reb Naftali. And Reb Shlomo met them on that first Shabbos when they came to America. And he said he was subsequently invited to the bar mitzvah of their grandson. So we're also, we also have run away. We also feel that we were forced into something that Hashem held the mountain over our heads. The chassan never ever stopped thinking about us. And the truth is, the Rabbi Shalom, you know that we've never ever stopped thinking about you. And here we are, thousands of years later, knocking on your door and begging you to take us back and to remember when we began in the desert and to bring us back to the beginning. Because we know 
that since we left you, it hasn't been good. That was Ramosha Weinberger, um, an incredible story. And we're about to end the show here right now. Thanks so much for those that were, t- that were tuning in. We've got a couple minutes left. I want to end by going to my co-host, Yossi Freeman, out in Israel for some final thoughts. Yossi? Yeah, hi, Charlie. It's, uh, it's 5.20 in the morning, actually, over here. And behind me, it's actually hard for me to tell if people actually left from last night and they came back from Vasikin or they basically have been here all night, and I kid you not, um, there's hundreds of people are still here at the Kotel, both men and women. Um, and just, I think that's uh, that's the the inspiration of, uh, you know, before we go into Yom Kippur, that the people, um, you know, one of the messages, going back to uh, the Slichas the program that we had for the Israelis today here in Nations, I mentioned before, Rabbi Goldvich, Etiel Goldvich, asked the uh, audience, he said, like, you know, when we come before Yom Kippur, we do things that we don't normally do during the year. And he said, I'll bring you a proof. He said, you guys are sitting here, it's 11.30 at night. What are you normally doing at 11.30 at night? Sleeping. And here you are, singing slichas and singing. And um, to be here across from Harabais in, in Asia Torah, a place that's focused on tshuva really all year long, and to be across from a place uh, where people are standing here at 5 o'clock in the morning, many of them having not left all night, those are even just the people outside, let alone the people inside. Uh, in itself is a message in and of itself, you know, before Yom Kippur, that it's time to really um, think about, think about the year and uh, connect to Hashem by, by way of doing tshuva. Yes, I want to thank you so much for all that you do for Kalal Yisrael and for another great show and another Another day, I mean, it's 5.20 in the morning, you're still up. So yeah, that, that's just a little bit of your dedication. I'm going to go down for the second right after this. I, <laughs> I hope you're going to sleep after that. Um, but thanks yeah. again for everything you do. And a Gemara Chasimatova to you, uh, to Rabbi Berg, and to every, all the entire staff for all your incredible efforts for Kalal Yisrael. thank you. So, you know, we've got a couple minutes left, just a couple of thoughts that I want to sort of share with you. Um, just maybe just wrap up the show a little bit. Uh, we had an incredible opportunity to hear from some great people. And I think there was a message that at least stuck home with me, and I hope it stuck home with you a little bit as well. And it really started with Rabbi Eisen. I think he really set the tone in a way that we need to, each and every one of us, sort of totally digest. Which is this idea that Yom Kippur is not the culmination of the Yom Noraim, as much as it's the culmination of the Yom Neflaim. The idea that days of awe really are days of awesome. And sometimes when you're in awe, it's overwhelming, right? It feels like I'm not enough. What awe does to us if it's not correct, there's some awe that inspires us and there's some awe that disempowers us. And the awe that inspires us is really the awe that makes us feel like we could be more. But the awe awe that, that disempowers us is this awe of I'm not enough. And sometimes we go into Yom Kippur and the way we feel is that I'm just not enough. I'm not enough of a Jew. I'm not. I'm not good enough as uh, what I did last year. I came last year in front of God, and I had an incredible Yom Kippur. And look at me now. Not, not a lot has happened since last Yom Kippur. Or the truth is, I didn't have a great Yom Kippur last year. Or whatever it is that brings us to where we are right now, 48 hours before the holiest day of the year, and the feeling of that. If I felt amazing right now, I'd feel guilty for feeling amazing. Right? It's like a, like a catch-22. 
you can't feel that amazing because that means you're not going to do tshuva. But if you don't feel amazing and you come in doing tshuva from a state of disempowerment, you miss the whole point. And this is, I think, the the challenge of real tshuva, of real repentance, of real um, relationship. The challenge of a relationship is the recognition that the person on the other side loves you more than your actions. Any kid who's smart enough to know that his parents love him or her more than their actions, and them, them, just them, is so much more beloved than whatever they did. And the balance of knowing that, and knowing that mommy and daddy love you no matter what, while at the same time knowing that you want to do the best that you can for them. That's the challenge. The excitement of seeing, of connecting to your dad. The excitement of knowing you're coming home. The Rabbi Eisen told that story of that boy. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the story of the dad. For 20 years, his son wasn't home. And he said to himself, if my son would just walk in the door. And I'm thinking like, what must it feel like for that son if he does come home to like knock on that door? I'm sure in his heart of hearts he knows when it opens, there's going to be two outstretched hands. So you have that excitement to come home, but that anxiety, that fear of, oh my God, I, I should have been better. And if you go into Yom Kippur with just the coldness of judgment, with just the guilt of I'm not enough, with just the anxiety of I hope I don't end up with a bad year, you miss more than you can ever gain you miss the whole thing because the whole thing according to the Rambam is about Devekas it's about connection so if you show up and it's and God's a boss he'll give you a good year he'll maybe not give you a great year and you come into him like a listen I don't really want to be here but I'm sorry I did bad things and I know that you run the world so hook me up you'll get a certain type of connection of course, I said that all in Hebrew, so it'll sound much better, but that's what you're saying. But if you come in with a sense of, I wasn't great, or I was great, I was as great as I could be, but it doesn't really matter. Because what really matters is that I can now take a minute out of my life and focus on you. And in this moment of focus, like Rabbi Left said a few clips ago, there's a part of my heart that says, I don't think I ever want to sin again. I don't. I mean, I'm standing here in Yom Kippur, and now I'm not here and I'm not there. and I'm, It's just clear. It's just clear for a minute. And in this clarity, I don't know, this, this thing that we have, this feeling of being so close to you is so much better than all the stuff that I did. If you can get a moment of that coming home, it's that moment that is so much more powerful for your relationship to Hashem, and your year, than any other, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's in that moment, like Isaac Gross was saying, you get this sense of, hey, what's going on around me? Are people not getting this that I could be giving it to them? Like, did I even look around and see who needs me that I could be helpful in? And it all stems from this one moment of real relationship. And that's what Yom Kippur really is all about. It's about 
getting to, it's like walking the mountain and going from Tishabov to Elul to, to, to Slichos to Aseris Mechuvah to Rosh Hashanah, Aseris Mechuvah, Shabbat You're just climbing, climbing, climbing. I was telling this to my son. And you're getting all the way up and then you get into Yom Kippur. And then Yom Kippur, you're climbing, you're climbing. And at the end of Yom Kippur, you get, and all that's left is you and Hashem. All that's left is Hashem Hu Elohim. There's nothing else. And if you can get to that moment of truth once throughout your Yom Kippur of, of the warm embrace of Hashem saying, I just want you home, I think that's really what it's all about. The warmth of the love of Hashem and the desire that we have to want to be closer to Him. And if we can get there, then we're better for it. It is my bracha, my blessing to you. Thank you for tuning in being part of this family throughout the entire year. My bracha is that this is the year that we get connected to Him in a real way. And if we do, may the connection be the source of all the bracha and the hatzlacha, the blessing and the success, all the things that we want, everything that we want should come. Hashem Shafil Kol Mishalos Libenu Latova, a good Gibench Dior, Shana Tova, Tisklushim Rabot, however you take it. We'll see it we'll see you on the other side. And may this be the year that we see Mashiach Tidkenu come in our days. Amen. Soyazma,